the accounting regulators aren't really doing all that much. <laughs> it's not that significant. Like we talked about this last week, the big thing they're going to be working on over the next six months is deciding whether or not to allow public companies to amortize goodwill. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And this is our special 2020 predictions episode. Should we check back in on our predictions from 2019? Do you remember yours? Oh, I, I don't. I, I hope you don't call me out for making some bad predictions. I don't remember yours, but I remember mine. And I, I predicted that it was going to be the year of instant payments. We kind of saw that across the board. QuickBooks announced you could get paid within 24 hours. And in many cases, you can um, get instant deposits now. If you're Instead of putting your bank routing numbers in, if you put your debit card number in, you can get an instant deposit or instant payments back for vendors or customers. So I think I'm going to declare victory on instant payments. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, good. Yeah. No, it's it's great. Done. We got Zelle is actually working really well. Venmo, Apple Cash. Like I can pay pretty much anyone with any app, although I have to have a variety of apps because we're not all using one app. And actually, we we'll get into that as uh, one of my predictions regarding fintech for 2020. So that's a good that's a good lead in. And and I think actually even the the explosion of all these um, getting paid two days early type payroll. Plays oh, that yeah. are out there, right? So people are getting paid faster than instant. They're getting paid early. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare that prediction as a win. Um, and I'm glad I only made one prediction. It, there was, it's harder to be wrong, right? <laughs> it's a numbers game. <laughs> well, cool. So I, I'm actually going back right now to our old show notes from 2019 and looking and seeing if I made any predictions that came true or didn't. Let's see. So my big prediction back in 2019 was that firms are going to have to figure out how to communicate with their clients and deliver really good customer service mobily. That means letting your clients text you and being being more responsive in that way. So I'm wondering, you know, did that come true? I don't know. I haven't seen any surveys about that. I guess I guess it's more of a long-term prediction. It has to go with uh, customer experience. Good CPAs, good accountants, bookkeepers have always focused on customer experience. Uh, the key now is just merging that responsiveness with technology uh, and moving forward right how can we how can we meet our clients where they are right whatever tools they want to use we need to be using so right, i'm going to give you that you're right because we talked about this over, it was a theme of many episodes not specifically about texting but how you're communicating with your clients right how you're engaging your clients yeah don't send them this giant email when they ask a question, give it, give them your opinion in, you know, one or two paragraphs. If, if you go beyond that, nobody reads long emails. And, and that's why texting is, it can actually be good if you have a way to do it without having to like pull out your own phone. If you have like some sort of service that can pull those in to a support ticket desk kind of thing. I don't know, the way that we can communicate with software companies, we should be able to communicate with accounting firms and there's software to do it. So people are going to figure it out. Um, but yeah. but I do have one um, prediction for 2020 right off the bat, David. What's that? Which is that we have just way too many accounting conferences. Everybody's doing one now, and like so, some of them just aren't going to survive. We're going to have a culling of the f- conferences. A culling? Yeah, of multiple. No, well, I- at least one. We're gonna lo- we're gonna lose at least one accounting conference this year. Yep. All right, Blake, I'm gonna give you this one already. Oh yeah. Uh, Accountext USA sent out an email yesterday, so. I don't know if you've checked your email or if it's in your spam folder, but you're right. An accounting conference, accounting, Account Techs USA is not going to do their 2020 event here in the United States. They'll still have their UK event, but they're not going to do their event in the States. That's crazy. And I have to admit, I cheated. I, I saw that email before I made my prediction. Uh, 
But do you remember? You can edit this in a way so nobody will know. Nobody that. will know, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not that smart. So credit <laughs> where credit is due. It was surprising to me, although not so surprising given the decline that that conference has had. It used to be SleaterCon. It was the Sleater Group's conference, which was my first conference was going to Sleater, and it was great, and it had some of the best content in the industry. Uh, that same goes for me. Uh, SleaterCon 2007 or something. I. I I don't even remember how long ago. It was 2007 or 2006. But yeah, it was a long yeah. time ago and it's an end of an era. Doug Sleater sold SleaterCon three years ago. Diversified Communications. To the account text group. Yep. They're yep. a giant company. They run a ton of conferences. He sold it to them and they just destroyed it. <laughs> it's sad to say. They ran it into the ground. It was interesting because they they filled it with sponsors though. I mean, you and I were there in Boston. We uh, did some of those interviews, those episodes. But the attendees, it was there was – there was almost more sponsors than attendees and that was the struggle. And, and I think there's this big argument with the conferences, like, do you charge people or do you not charge people? Cause in theory, you're like, don't charge anybody. You'll have so many people go, the vendors will be happy and just charge vendors. But I feel like people don't have skin in the game. Yeah. So they don't show up. Well, part of the problem is that ZeroCon started, QuickBooks Connect started and they made those conferences almost free, essentially free. They're so cheap uh, because they're marketing activities in addition to being educational. And so, Conferences at the level of a SleaterCon or an AccountX just can't compete with that. So they had to go free as well, which then, you know, people people don't value free, actually. Right? They're they're more likely to go to a conference if you have to pay money because they know at least the sessions are going to be educational and good and it's not all pay to play by the vendors. And you're right. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I feel like we we've gone to the the other shows that used to be owned by Five Management and now they're owned by is it Tripitan, Tripit. Oh, um, they, they they put on the accounting show, accounting show, Terrapin, LA, accounting show, Terrapin, Toronto. yeah, Terrapin. And I think they do the New York City Technology Show and the LA Technology Show, and those are not very well attended no. either. Yeah, and so I wonder if they they but then they also do uh, Toronto one that I guess is decent, and I think they do one in Asia that has really good attendance. So maybe maybe this your prediction's more of some of these uh, shows are going to pull out of the US. Well, and what's happening is the the best shows are becoming vendor sponsored, right? ZeroCon, QuickBooks Connect. The shows that used to be independent are, can't compete with that. People aren't going to go to, you know, people have limited time to go to conferences, right? Most small, especially smaller practitioners, right? You can't leave your business for more than one or two weeks a year to go to get CPE and go to these shows. So who are you going to go to, right? You're going to go to the one, uh, the GL tool that is is doing the conference. So yeah, the, I think it'll just continue to happen. We're going to have just vendor specific events. And I think I saw either on Twitter, I feel like I haven't seen any confirmation of it, but that QuickBooks is not going to do a QuickBooks Connect in Sydney yep. this year. In lieu of that, apparently do more of the smaller roadshow type events. So you're right. Maybe maybe 2020 is the year of the way people think of conferences is being changed. And I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. It's that a lot of this stuff that used to happen at these conferences is moving online. People are engaging in Facebook groups. A lot. You're CP online now. Yeah, you've got CPA Academy giving you all your CPE online and you can get as much of it as you want uh, whenever you want. You've got podcasts like ours. Like This is something that has developed over the last 10 years. Used to be you had to go in person to get this stuff and now you can go online. So, in a way, it's just much more convenient. Yeah, I feel like the in-person part of it, the important part of this now of the conferences is not the training you go to get. It's just the connections, the physical Mm -hmm. hugs and talking and eating with somebody that you've chatted with every other day virtually. Yep. So, so I feel like the conferences are more important than ever, but 
what what the business model is and what the purpose of the conference is, I think, is what's being reinvented here. I agree. And it may not be solved in 2020. It could take two or three years before whatever this new model of bringing people together is. Good one, Blake. Good uh, prediction. So I, I went through uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about seven to 10 um, prediction blog posts that are out there. E-commerce, blockchain, tech gadgets, accounting things, uh, audit. AI, like 150 things in AI. And so I don't want to bring up everything to the table, but what I did is with each article, I just was kind of went through and I'm like, oh, here's the duh, obviously. Like that's not much of a prediction. Uh, something that I completely have no faith in, like, yeah, right, that's never happening. And then something that I didn't even think of. And so we can kind of go through some of these and uh, talk about these predictions. And I know you have a couple articles yeah. and predictions of your, your own. And then I will give my own predictions at the end of the show if people want to stay tuned for that. Yeah. Let's, let's go through no it. Skipping. And, no skipping. Let's go through it by sort of by topic. And then if, if our articles are overlap in terms of topics, we can have a discussion. All right. Want to tiptoe in the water with an easy one for e-commerce? Yeah, sure. All right. So this is um, from a website called e27.co. It's e-commerce trends, what to expect in 2020. So my duh one, one of their predictions is people will find your product and website via Google search. Uh, wait, then, isn't that what, <laughs> that's, that what, that's one of the predictions? That people are going to find you via Google search? Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. All right. So that, that, that was a duh. Oh. Um, and then my, the yeah, right was dynamic pricing. So I just don't see dynamic pricing happening for most e-commerce players. What do you mean by right? dynamic it's a bigger platform, pricing? Dude. What is dynamic pricing? So like when you go to buy airline tickets, mm-hmm. right? Or hotels, or you have a hotel room, or you yourself when you shop on Amazon, you might see dynamic prices depending on who you are. Oh, so the, and I think at a big platform level that is going to happen, but I don't see somebody who has their own website set up for selling their product online is going to dynamically price things real time for their visitors to their website. I just don't buy that. So when you say dynamic pricing, you're saying that the price changes depending on who is going to the website and and when they're going, right? Because I know that. Airlines have been doing this for a long time, where if you shop on the weekend for a ticket, you're going to pay more than if you shop on a Wednesday in the middle of the day. And if you visited the site before and your cookies, there's all kinds of stuff. And I don't think smaller players are going to do that. I think big platforms are going to be able to, are doing it, but I just don't see that coming Yeah, the pipe there. Well, you know where it should happen and where it could easily happen is that as busy season approaches, freaking raise your prices. <laughs> like. If somebody comes to you yeah. in March, they should be paying a lot more than somebody who comes to you in January to get their tax return done in April. Like, like everybody should yeah. do that. I, I think you're right. Like, yeah. Um, and then the thing I didn't think of that I thought was interesting in this article was rental and quote unquote re-commerce are going to increase because there's so much sustainability push. And then ultimately, people just want lower prices. And if you can get lower prices through buying something that's used- mm-hmm. Or, or possibly renting something. And I, I thought that was an interesting uh, prediction that you're, we're going to see a big jump in uh, used goods. One well, great example of that, which we've talked about before, is Rent the Runway, which is that company yep. that lets you rent high-end fashion, you know, wear it for one night and then return it. And they can get 25 rentals out of a single item or something. So that was it for that article. That was my uh, okay. you know, three um, Do you want to jump into one of yours? Yeah. So let's talk about RPA. Robotic process automation, a big term in corporate America. And in small business, we don't use the acronym so much. We just call it automation. Or we just call it Zapier. Yeah, Zapier. (laughs) So Donnie Shimamoto, he's the founder and managing director of Enterprise Technologies. And he's been a guest on the show. 
He said in an article in the Journal of Accountancy called What to Expect in 2020, that RPA is the technology that will have the greatest short-term impact on accounting. And that's because it can be used by management accounting, by audit, and by tax. So I really respect Donnie's opinion. So I'm just going to go with him on this one and say RPA is going to be the big thing uh, this year. It's going to continue to grow the most probably and have the most impact of any technology. And like you said, for those who aren't familiar with RPA, Zapier is a great example of RPA connecting different systems and automating the flow of information, stuff that you might have had to key in manually before. And there's also really sophisticated RPA software that, that are essentially like macros that you would have in Excel, but that can live outside of just a spreadsheet application. They can act like a person clicking a mouse and typing a keyboard going in between apps and and they use some artificial intelligence to f- be able to work like a human follow detailed instructions and kind of overcome some of the issues that like a, an Excel macro couldn't this is basically a more advanced version of that it's the ability for the common folk to do automation before it would you need an engineer would have to do it and i think it's coming down to a level where an average account or bookkeeper can automate some oh, tasks yeah. now. We're, we're doing that right now in marketing at Giraffe is we're connecting our Google ads to HubSpot, our CRM, and we're using Zapier to automatically create contacts. So that's something that in the past I would have had to go and manually enter all of those and we don't have to do that anymore. Fewer entry-level people needed. Got it. Want to talk blockchain? Oh, yeah. that's That was the big one for the past few years, and it kind of hit the peak of the hype cycle, and then it just fell off the radar, didn't it? I feel like we talked about it all the time towards the end of 2018, yeah. and then we barely talked about blockchain for all of 2019. I feel like barely, barely spoke about it. So, this article is in the enterprisetimes.co.uk, Blockchain 2020, Thoughts, Comments, and the Future. So what what is going to happen with blockchain? Because there was all this doom and gloom about how it was going to automate audit and get rid of auditing and all that stuff. Still yeah. So I think so. Th- so that was my yeah right. So one of the predictions was over and over again. The predictions we're talking about this. Um, this is the year of enterprise adoption. Enterprise is going to adopt the blockchain. And the words enterprise adoption just kept coming up over and over and over and over again. But it was a little gray. Right. It, it was almost like, but yeah. What are like the actual easy, like, like, applications of this? I don't know, and it wasn't clear. But but that was like the safe like prediction. Enterprise adoption. So if any of the Fortune 500 use some sort of blockchain technology at all, people are going to say they're right. So that was a lot skeptical of because I, I feel like enterprises just take so long to adopt anything. So there was one story last year that did catch my eye about blockchain and suggest that there is some progress being made in real world applications. So my old firm, Armanino, they created a tool called Trust Explorer 2.0. This was reported back in the end of October in Accounting Today. And it's an app that uses blockchain technology to provide a secure downloadable report, which Armanino backs with its opinion. The idea is that if you can put it on the blockchain, then you can get an audit opinion from Armanino in seconds. That's kind of a cool application, right? Yeah. But but it's not eliminating audit because Armanino built this tool and they are backing it. So if anything, it's it's allowing them to do an audit on a blockchain more efficiently. So then um, my duh was uh, regarding currency. There's going to be government regulation and pushback against it from governments. The governments are anti-coin. They really are ultimately. Yeah, well, because it's um, an existential and- threat to fiat currency. If 
people decide that Bitcoin or whatever comes after Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency is safer than the US dollar, the US government loses a ton of power over the global economy. So the US government should just make their own Bitcoin and the whole world is adopted as a standard. That it would be like that. And there would be the smartest. There was a great article last year that we never talked about uh, suggesting exactly that, that if the Fed really wanted to be on the cutting edge, that they would create digital dollars, a, a cryptocurrency linked to the US dollar that they controlled. And it would give them amazing powers, like the ability to infuse money. In, in a financial crisis, instead of loaning tons of money to banks and hoping that banks loan money to businesses and stimulate the economy that way, they could actually create an account for every citizen and then oh, true. infuse money directly into our accounts that way and skip the banks entirely, make the banks obsolete in that regard. They have so far just rejected any possibility of, of pursuing something like that. And then the thing in that article that I didn't think about or uh, opened my eyes a little bit is this whole concept of internet of blockchain. So essentially via internet blockchain communication. So separate blockchains will start talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something to, to think about. Um, well, and continuing along with blockchain, I don't know if this is going to happen in 2020, probably not, maybe over the next 10, 20 years, but blockchain has the potential to disrupt Google's monopoly over information. And, and and could basically do what what the internet did to Microsoft, cryptocurrencies or crypto networks could do to Google in that you have this open database of information that doesn't get controlled by uh, one algorithm or one source such as Google. So that's the potential long-term of blockchain if we're storing information beyond just you know, financial information on a blockchain. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big problems of the blockchain, right? Is this decentralized approach? The problem is we've grown up. We the whole history of the world is about centralizing power. Right. <laughs> like, like, like the natural order of the world has never been about equal distribution of power. And if you centrally, it's all centralized. Well, and the problem with this theory that you can create a completely decentralized blockchain and have it succeed is there's a lot of hubris involved in that because that means that you have written it perfectly. So that would be like, imagine if the founders of our country had said when they wrote the constitution that it that this constitution can never be changed and you can never amend it because it's perfect the way it is. In a lot of ways, that's what a blockchain algorithm is like if you don't have ways for people to change it. And currently, the only way to like change Bitcoin is to break off from the network and split split the chain. Which has happened, and then before. everybody wants people to use my Bitcoin, right. David's Bitcoin, instead of Blake's Bitcoin, right. and it's like, <laughs> which is centralizing onto one chain. And that would be like if the only way to change the U.S. Constitution was for us to split into two countries, <laughs> and then people have to decide which one they're going to join. And it, ah, that's what churches do, right? When churches want to, ch- they they, they kind of grant a change; they just split the church. And right. People believe the one set of beliefs; they go one way, and the other one, yeah. Yeah. So, and churches are blockchains. I don't know. Uh, you 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 need some sort of authority to manage a blockchain i think uh, in theory because it's it's not perfect and there's going to be changes that need to happen and and that's one of the big problems with blockchain right now is that if you know or bitcoin in particular is if you ex, if you if you make a transaction and and you screwed it up and let's say you sent money to the wrong wallet or somebody steals money from you there's no way to reverse those transactions there's got to be some sort of balance here 
right? Can you have yep. the protections of fiat currency and that the banking system provides while also having the flexibility and openness of a blockchain? So I think that's enough about blockchain, right? Should we? How about yeah. how about I pick the next one? Okay, let's talk. Let's talk about a a, a trend that isn't going to uh, impact us very much. That I don't know why people are talking about this so much. Five G. I keep hearing five G. Five G is the next big thing for mobile technology, right? We had four G. That's I think everybody's on four G right now, right? And five G is somehow going to change the world with greater speed and all this stuff. The next article I was going to go to about what's next for gadgets in 2020. <laughs> and that was one of my duh. 5G phones are everywhere, but 5G networks are nowhere. And this specifically was called out as a big technology to expect in 2020 in the Journal of Accountancy. Rick Richardson was quoted, 2020 will be a breakout year for 5G as handset manufacturers begin to make 5G chips at standard equipment. Okay, so... It's going to make cellular data transfer as much as 100 times faster than current 4G networks. But like, how is that really going to change accounting and auditing? I mean, like my 4G phone is plenty fast to do what I need to do as an accountant. And I can do video chat and conferencing and all that stuff. Like, here's here's another quote from the article. Faster, more efficient broadband connections are essential for the real-time data connections needed to power continuous auditing and KPI dashboards that provide live results and analysis. Tell me how 4G is not fast enough to do that right now. I mean, the problem isn't that we don't have the enough speed. The problem is that people are just aren't using the tools. And, and I already, you can do cloud accounting from an airplane now. So, like, right? Yeah, we got satellite internet. Like, I when when I fly uh, Alaska Airlines going up to Seattle, yeah, I can get 20 megabits per second. That's plenty fast to do what I need to do. So, as as an accountant, as an accountant, yeah, no, yeah, 5G has big. Uh, potential for self-driving cars and all that stuff. But, you know, we're talking about accounting, auditing, bookkeeping. Hi, this is Blake. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Giraffe, my employer. Giraffe sounds a lot like giraffe, and that's no accident. Giraffes are the tallest animal in the world. That gives them a great view. Our goal at Giraffe is to give you a similarly great view of what's going on with your business. We do that by helping you understand where your business has been, and most importantly, predict where it's going. Giraffe connects your cloud-based accounting, payroll, CRM, and billing data together to automatically update shareable online dashboards, monthly reporting packages, and sophisticated financial plans and budgets in real time. If you're using Excel for reporting and forecasting, you'll save hours every month with Giraffe. Learn how accounting firms are using Giraffe to deliver connected insight, strategize growth, and help their clients make more profitable decisions. Visit giraffe.com and start your 30-day free trial. That's J-I-R-A-V dot com. See farther with Giraffe. But so, so this is in the magazine called The Verge, or website called TheVerge.com. Mm -hmm. And then here's what's next for gadgets in 2020. So yes, 5G phones like is one of the duh that's everywhere. But then they, uh, somebody in that, that article predicted that the streaming TV wars are going to be here. Like, come on, how hard was that? Like, it's, it's already so here. That, it's here. Like, that, that was a yeah. really obvious one. Um, the one that, uh, the thing I didn't really think of a lot is it's two words, folding and rolling. You're, so you're going to see screens, phones, tablets, TVs, TVs that roll. Like, like think about shutters. Roll up. Like they'll, or they'll either roll, they'll, they'll go up out of a box on your table or they'll pull out of your ceiling. Like screens are going to be folding and rolling. Okay. This year. <laughs> I mean, see that. we had the whole folding screen fiasco last year with that phone from, was it Samsung or that, that did the, tried to do the folding phone that didn't work? 
They like kept breaking. That was just one phone. Yeah. We're going to see hundreds, hundreds of devices that fold and roll this year. Like you're going to see that that's going to be everywhere. That That's uh, going to be the big one. Mm. And then the yeah, right was a lot of predictions about this is the year of smart home security. And my yeah, right about that is most every time you turn around, those smart home security devices, ring doorbells, et cetera, are getting hacked. Yeah. Like, like it, it seems crazy. You're going to bring in, quote unquote, a security device that's more hackable than any other device in your house. <laughs> It's the most hackable device. Yeah. Nobody can hack your toaster I, yet. I, Nobody can hack your refrigerator, but they can hack your doorbell. I'm okay with having the doorbell. Just don't be stupid and use a very hackable password on your doorbell. I would never put a smart security camera in my home, like a ring security camera. I just, I just that's beyond for me. I'll, I'll do a smart speaker. That's okay. But like a, a security camera, no way. Yeah, I, I just don't buy. I, I think the tech nerds are going to buy that smart security stuff. There's going to be enough hacks, but I think the average person's just going to get creeped out by it yeah. and not do it. I just don't see the explosion of smart home security yet because there's a fundamental flaw that those devices need usernames and passwords. They're tie- they're calling home on the internet. They're connected to Wi-Fi. Like, like there has to be a smart home security that's not connected. And maybe that's where five G comes in. I don't know, but. They're fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. Like a security device is fundamentally flawed if it's dependent on your username and password, which everybody knows your username and password suck. Uh, so let's talk about practice management, that topic, uh, also covered in the Journal of Accountancy's 2020 predictions article. The trend toward hiring non-accounting graduates at CPA firms is expected to continue as firms seek the expertise of technology specialists. We've discussed before how non-accounting graduates consisted approximately of 31% of all new graduate hires in public accounting in 2018, which is an increase of 11 percentage points over 2016. Dramatic change there. And that is expected to continue. The CPA license exam curriculum in schools has not thus far adapted to the new reality of what it means to be a CPA firm. And so non-accounting graduates are needed. We need skills beyond accounting. Now, there is that cpaevolution.org project going on at the AICPA to change the curriculum, but I am not predicting that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, they're, they're still collecting commentary. I don't think that's expected to complete the proposal, right? The draft proposal for the changes is going to happen this year, but that's just the proposal. Then there's the years and years of actually making the change happen, with the exam. And then there's the years and years of actually making the curriculum change happen. So that might be a 10-year kind of thing. So expect to see more non-accounting graduates in CPA firms and, and, and really good career opportunities if you are a CPA who learns those skills that are missing from the license right now. There's a quote from a firm in Chicago, Lauterbach and Amon LLP. Uh, it's a mid-sized firm. They have decided that one in every four new hires needs to come from outside the traditional recruiting target population of accountants and CPAs. The non-traditional recruits are sought for their technology and data analytics expertise, and also for skills such as project management, financial services, and forecasting. So they have made that a deliberate recruiting goal is to make so sure. I, I, I'm now the perfect accounting firm candidate. Oh, you are. Yeah. If you, right. if you wanted to go I, I'm not, do that I'm to yourself. I'm not from the traditional background in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> but I'm, I am the ideal candidate of 2020 for accounting firms. Yeah, exactly. Uh, although accounting firms are notoriously ageist uh, when it comes to hiring staff. So you, you might be out there. They, they only want those fresh- Too old? Yeah, basically. They, they want the fresh college graduates who don't know any better and are willing to work 60 to hours a week you know, for no overtime. 
Oh, all right. Well, all right. You smashed my dreams for 2020, I guess. Yeah. And you don't uh, want to fill out a timesheet. You don't want to fill out a timesheat, do you, David? Uh, yeah, time clocks. Uh, I have an accounting related one as well. Okay. This is a, a blog post on LinkedIn. The accounting profession in, and accelerating technology, the end of many firms, question mark. Uh, my dove of the article was the profession does not like change. <laughs> I was like, yeah, really? <laughs> like that was that was kind of kind of obvious. Uh, my yeah, right. And, I'll, and I'm gonna read this straight out. The combination of big data and machine learning is driving a plethora of new data analytics tools that, frankly, can be used by anyone. They're in the issue the do-it-yourself threat, and I think that's yeah, right because. The do-it-yourself threat's been there for 25 years already with QuickBooks, et cetera. And like, TurboTax, right? This used by anyone is just crap. Yeah. it's I just don't buy that. The thing I liked about that article, though, is he used a, uh, an acronym that I thought was really cool, um, and it probably applies really well to accounting firms, is see the risk of Sally, S-A-L-Y, mindset. And that's same as last year. Yeah, well, because if you keep doing it the same as last year, you're never going to change. Yeah. And, and and to, I've never seen, really seen that referenced as a, a mindset or and uh, as an acronym. So I kind of like that one going forward. Well, and it's a great it's a great uh, I don't know analogy or acronym that represents the mindset of the profession because it's how accountants learn to work when they go into a firm. This is how you learn. You look at what happened last year, and you're instructed to copy it and only make changes if necessary, because that's the easiest thing to do. And that way, you know, people don't learn. They keep repeating bad processes. It's it's endemic to the profession because that's the way we learn to learn. Uh, let's, let's stay on accounting. I have one or two other articles we could j- jump in. I don't know if you have any more accounting predictions. I do have some more predictions. Uh, let's see here. Let's talk about millennials. There was a lot of chatter about millennials over the last couple of years in 2019. I think we have hit peak millennial content or topic or derision, it's it's kind of over. So hopefully this will be the last time we talk about this. This was an article by Jim Boomer on the Boomer Consulting blog, Four Things Millennials Want from Your Firm. I liked how he talked about flexibility. That was one of the things that he said millennials want. In recent years, millennials have become the face of the shift toward remote work. In a survey from American Express, 70% of millennial workers in the U.S. indicated that they want their work environment to be, quote, flexible and fluid, unquote, rather than enforcing a rigid structure on employees. Flexibility offers several benefits for employers, blah, blah, blah. Basically, the eight to five office hours don't work with millennial employees, and firms should be offering more flexibility. So offer some core hours, don't require people to be in eight to five, maybe you do 10 to three, let them start later or let them start later or leave earlier. Hey, and I'm, and I'm adding this, maybe don't even require them to come in uh, to the office every day. Don't focus on overtime hours, focus on results. That's going to continue to be something that firms have to change. They have to become more flexible. So that makes sense. And maybe that's kind of a duh um, maybe that's kind of a duh thing at this point, David. But I, I felt like Jim Boomer expressed this very well, in addition to some other things like we need more stimulating office space, a sense of community. <laughs> and the last thing is is you know, the ability to not have to wear a suit every day to the office. Let them dress flexibly for their job. Well, yeah, where their where their torn up jeans. Where their uh, <laughs> what's it called? The what what's the fast fashion? Fast fashion. Fast fashion. The, the uh, yeah. Fast well, fashion. it's like fast food, but close, right? Yeah, exactly. So I've uh, for it's this is an article from Zero that was in the uh, accountancy today. Co. Co. Uk. It's four accounting trends that will shape twenty twenty. 
So the duh was pesky data entry will be gone. I'm like, yeah, it kind of already is. You put everything through receipt bank or auto entry or hub doc and yeah, you're not, you're actually doing- You could do that five years ago. It's just getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, My yeah, right was um, open banking. Like, okay, I'll give you credit. Yes, open banking in the UK and AU for sure. But in the US, we're not seeing open banking in 2020. No. If we see it by 2030, what we'll be we'll be celebrating if we see true open banking in this country. It's going to take a long time to get here. It's going to take legislation, and that's what they have in Europe. Is the the EU has a a law called PSD2, which is like GDPR for payment data. It it forces banks, large banks, have to make consumer data available to any fintech which the consumer permissions. So that would be like Bank of America. Uh, I, I, as a customer of Bank of America, could say, Bank of America, you have to make all of my banking data available to Venmo. Yeah. It, it, that's a big deal. And it would take a law here in the US for that to happen. We can expect to see like payments and banking get more and more advanced in Europe. And maybe that'll stimulate uh, regulators here to to make changes or lawmakers even. And that part of that post that I didn't really think of or I wasn't aware of, um, it's a little specific because it deals with Brexit, but it's uh, Brexit will essentially cause cash flow pains for small businesses and clients, and they're going to need help to address that. And so it's really, uh, if you have the opportunity to uh, come in as the advisor and understand how to solve those problems, but they're going to be new problems that didn't exist before, strictly because of Brexit. So this is sort of like a predictions article. It's about the critical issues facing the accounting profession. Accounting today asked their top 100 most influential people, uh, including you and me, David, what is the most important issue currently facing the accounting profession? And then they took all those responses, which I didn't realize were going to become public. (laughs) I thought that was just part of the application and posted them for everyone to see on a blog. And it's a lot. I hope I gave a good answer. (laughs) Actually, yeah, I didn't read yours. Uh, (laughs) Let me go check it out. Let's see what David wrote. You said, the struggle to show clients the value that they as professionals provide. As more hourly billable work gets automated to the point in which there isn't much left to bill for, clients are going to start asking, what am I paying you to do if it's all being done automatically? That was your top critical issue facing the accounting profession. I said, I just kept mine very short. As with many jobs in America and around the world, automation is the biggest threat. I didn't read every single response. It's 100 responses. It's a giant article. So to automate that, I made a word cloud of the keywords that people used in their responses to see if there are any trends. Oh, so you just created our cover art this week. Yeah. So that's to save me some work. I'm going to save you some work. That's our cover art. So, Amazing. Perfect. So here are the top words. Uh, technology was the most frequent word. Then change, then clients, then tax, audit, talent, uh, and then a bunch of other ones, management, models, partner, processes, people, succession, value, future, compliance, consulting data, automation, advisory, adapt. So you get a get a feel there, though, especially with those top words, technology, change, clients, tax, and audit. So technology is changing how we work with clients is how I would stitch those together when it comes to the world of audit and tax, uh, most specifically. That's the trend. And it's not just us saying that, right? That's the top 100 uh, most influential, according to Accounting Today. Good, good, good. Uh, I have two more uh, accounting-related ones, and then we can get back into fun things like creepy applications and the such. All right, cool. So uh, this is out of the accountantsdaily.com.au. So it's an article from Down Under. It's further changes expected in accounting in 2020. 
So my duh in that article was that accountants will have more available to them than ever before. My yeah right was that clients want to be inspired and led by their accountant. Do you buy into that? Client, I just clients don't. want to be inspired and led by their accountant. Uh, no, I think uh, clients want an accountant who who will be responsive, who will get them the information they need, give them the opinion that they want. Right? They, they, they want. You know, I don't want to be inspired and led by my doctor. I want my doctor to tell me what I need. That's different, right? I come to them with a problem and I want them to tell me, give me the options, tell me what they recommend. Yeah, I I felt like this was like, this would be the dream as an accountant. All my clients come to me for inspiration. Like that would be the, that it's all, I just don't, I just don't buy it. That's not for accountants. That's for business coaches, right? That's the whole coaching industry. Accountants should not be coaches. It's a totally different mentality and personality. It's not for us. If you're an accountant who likes to do coaching, you're in the wrong business. You you should be doing something else. Well, one thing I liked about this article, uh, got really specific about how accountants will survive, quote unquote, the media extravaganza that AI and bots will replace your job. But really, the belief is while technology will do the heavy lifting, it doesn't mean that accountants will work less. So... Accountants will still have work to do. It's just the heavy lifting is going to be done by the by AI and bots, et cetera. Well, it's like that Google algorithm that's now checking out mammograms and does a better job than doctors. It's going to allow radiologists, the good radiologists, like the top 50%, those above the average, to do more because now they can use the algorithm to check their work. And we can basically get rid of all the crappy radiologists, right? Same thing with accounting. Yeah. Right? You can get rid of the crappy accountants and the ones who are really good can do double the work or triple the work. Or in my case, it was like four or five times the bookkeeping work uh, that I could do before. So amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's really good for some people, the people who are listening to this podcast most likely. Right. But it's not going to be good for the people who aren't. <laughs> so I have one more last accounting one, and then we'll get into some fun, crazy stuff like up, creep, creep applications and AI and uh, voice and all that type of stuff. So this is an article on cfodive.com. And it's regulators eye accounting, comma, audit changes for 2020. And to be honest, Blake, I, I read this article and I looked at it and I looked at it and there was nothing I could form an opinion of like, duh, or yeah, right. Or I didn't think of that. Like I was just, it, it was almost, I'm not saying it's a pointless article. I just struggled with it. And that makes sense to me because the accounting regulators aren't really doing all that much. <laughs> it's not that significant. Like we talked about this last week, the big thing they're going to be working on over the next six months is deciding whether or not to allow public companies to amortize goodwill on their balance sheet over a period of time rather than having to do evaluation every single year and then decide if goodwill is impaired. Like This is just not important stuff, if you ask me. I mean, hey, I'm not a big four accountant guy. And I've never audited big public companies, but like kind of seems like they could be working on some more important stuff. And this is the reason why accounting has become less and less important when it comes to investors. It's like we've made accounting complex. We've made GAP four or five times more complex than it used to be over the last few decades. And doesn't provide really that much more useful information. It's just all kind of meaningless. And so like, I feel like that feeling you got when you read this article is the feeling we should all get when we look at what Fasby's doing. It's just, it's just, you know, a bunch of people who love Gap making the rules more and more complex. 
I, I think the people at FASB are the people who like to play those really complicated like strategy board games that take five hours to play. Uh, like the Settlers of Catan and those types of games. Oh, Settlers of Catan is just entry level, man. You know, we're talking, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> we're talking like uh, Axis and Allies and these, you know, these games with like 10,000 pieces and stuff like that, like in a giant rule book. You know, that's the, that's the kind of people in fa- running FASB. It sounds boring. Let's do some fun things. I, if I, I, I hope I didn't piss off any of our listeners here, but if, if you disagree with me, if you think that the work that FASB is doing is valuable and is making a difference in the world, let me know. All right. This is like a pick your poison. Voice, virtual reality, um, creep applications, uh, AI, fintech. What do you want to, what do you want to jump into? Uh, what about AI? AI. Okay. So voice AI or just AI in general? Just say, yeah. I mean, include voice in there, AI in All general. Right. Yeah. All right, we'll try to jump on both. Okay, so I have an article from Forbes. This is 120 AI predictions for 2020. So 120 AI predictions, right? So uh, so I kind of had to really summarize the theme of this article to some extent. Um, Chatbots are everywhere. That's the duh. Yeah, uh, duh. Every website you go to, there's a chatbot these days. The yeah, right. This one I thought was really interesting. In 2020, AI will dramatically improve the employee experience, the ability to automatically and instantly collect data from across multiple channels, analyze it, and provide actionable insight that will enable support agents to more quickly, easily, and accurately address customer inquiries that come highly satisfactory issue resolution. So and that's a big, bold the, claim. The reason, the reason I think it's, yeah, right, because if all of these things were working correctly and collecting data and speaking correctly, you as the customer wouldn't need to contact anybody because you'd have access to the data and you'd get your answer already. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Like, I just, like, this is total crap. Like, uh, so that one I didn't buy. Um, the thing I didn't think of, which I thought was interesting, is right now we live in this world where we talk about all the time. There's apps, right? People are buying apps and software. But the, the prediction here is they'll just buy the AI. One small piece of software or or logic or AI that detects one small thing, like maybe when a toaster is going to break and you're just going to buy that one teeny micro sliver. So it's not even an app. It's just a piece of AI. And I thought that was interesting that that we're going to start seeing AI for sale at that level. AI for for niche applications versus like some AI that's going to be able to understand a million things. And, And that actually goes to voice AI. Right, our smart speakers in our home. We've talked before about how they're really dumb, <laughs> and people are just using them for playing music and setting timers. And it hasn't gotten good enough to where people can actually have a conversation. You have to know specific commands. It's going to take longer than 2020 to make this work well. Well, I have an article about voice AI in 2020, predictions from 46 voice technology experts. Oh, so is it going to get good? Is my Alexa actually going to become smart? Okay. So I, I don't know. So so one of the things was voice will dominate search in the car. It's like, yeah, of course. Well, right? How else are you going like, to search? That, 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 was, <laughs> that wasn't much of a prediction, right? Yeah. Like, so that was kind of an easy one. Um, the yeah, right. So do you know who Johnny Ive is? Yeah. The uh, former chief designer at Apple, right? And legendary designer now, right? And the grand history of the world designer, yeah. right? Um, design the iPhone, design the uh, MacBook Pro, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, the prediction is that the Johnny Ive of voice will emerge and voice UI will be amazing this year. I think that is not going to happen this year. It's just yeah, it's exactly. too much of a gap. My, yeah, right. It's too much well. of a gap. There's it's no going to change. If, it's not even yeah. – like, and that's the thing is, is for voice AI to get better, I mean, like I can't even ask good follow-up questions of my uh, Alexa. I had a conversation with her this morning. I think I asked her to repeat something that she had just said, and she couldn't do it. She was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Like you forgot the conversation yeah. we were just having. And this is the prediction that could help you with this. So there's one prediction that I saw that I was like, this is genius. Why didn't I think of that? Is you get to teach your own device. So instead of right now, we've talked about this in the past, recordings of what you ask Alexa are going off to India or the Philippines or some other country. Somebody's listening to that and then trying to teach the device what you tried to talk to the device about, Blake. What if you could just teach the device? Like you, you, you're talking about a couple weeks ago, you want to turn the lights on in your hallway, but not your living room. Like if you could just have some control and teach your own device about the context in your house. That would be and great. that I think is a very interesting prediction in 2020 that we can actually teach our stupid devices the things we need them to know. Because you really only need to teach them five or six things and then you'll be super happy with that device. Well, that would be a much more amazing experience because like I've talked about, I, I control my lights with my Amazon Alexa in the house. And I had to go and program every single light into my phone and then set specific names for every device in my phone before I could actually use any of the voice commands. I should be able to just set that up via voice. I should say, Alexa, this light over here is called this. And it should just walk me through it in a conversation. And maybe maybe that's something that, that these big companies are missing on. Like people need to be able to control. But maybe maybe the pendulum is going to swing back to you get to control your tech devices here a little bit more, and not depend on these other companies to control your tech. So we're running out of time here today. And I think you said, David, that you had some predictions in addition to what we just talked about. Yeah. So um, let me scan really quickly these last articles, make sure there's nothing I don't want to miss out on. Uh, nothing exciting in VR. I don't no. think. Continue um, to make people throw up. That's what it will do. <laughs> At least me anyway. Yeah. The one thing I liked, um, uh, this is an Inc.com. This was uh, an article from Gene Marks. Four creepy applications that will change your business in 2020. Uh, the dough was apps that track your field salespeople. And I'm like, yeah, of course, the field service apps have been out there tracking the actual insert, the field service people for years, right? I didn't think that was- Gene said that because his firm implements CRM systems. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Is uh, there's software that watches how your employees are using apps, and that's going to suggest better ways for them to use them. And I just see a rebellion happening internally at companies, tracking every single click I'm doing in every single app, right, and then reporting that up to management. That seems kind of ridiculous. With the new California privacy law, in California anyway, or if you have employees in California, you have to tell employees that you're tracking them and what you are tracking. Yeah, we talked about that in the last episode. Uh, and the thing I, I liked about this article or, or that I didn't think of fully is this concept of augmented writing. And, and it really makes sense, right? If you think about it, first we had spell check, mm. then we had autocorrect. And now like keyboards are doing word suggestions to the next level of communication suggestion. Like, like you start your paragraph, it knows where you're headed and it just finishes the paragraph for you. It's augmented writing. This is one of the best AI implementations that is helped me in the last year. Do you use Gmail, David? No, not regularly. No. Oh, okay. So like this is now in Gmail. If I'm typing in Gmail and I've enabled this feature, it will, as I'm typing in a lighter gray text ahead of my cursor, suggest the end of my sentence. Wow. And more often than not, I can just hit tab and it finishes my sentence for me. And the more that I do that, the more it learns how I like to finish my sentences. So often I can just type a few words, especially if it's a welcome or the beginning of the email or the end of the email, which is pretty standard. And it just knows what I want to say. And I just hit tab. Uh, and, and on the mobile device, they've also got these quick responses. So at the bottom of every email, instead of having to hit reply and then type my response, I get three choices. I can say, you know, it'll say like, okay, thanks. Or uh, I'll be right on that. Stuff like that, like short answers to questions. I can just hit that button and it sends the email without reply. 
So like this is Google is already doing this, and it's well, really and so, good. So we're going to see this more mainstream this year. Yeah, this is, that, that's actually exciting. It's one of the the more interesting things I saw. Um, I have like three more articles, but there's not really any major takeaways. The one that only uh, that really made me say hmm, and it probably affects our industry a lot is so there's a thing talking about how big tech is coming for banking. You know, and experts are predicting FinDEX 2020. Yeah, and the the real the interesting one I saw was this concept of other players getting into fintech that we would never think of. And the example they brought up was Netflix. Netflix and fintech. So Netflix, Netflix, Netflix is already producing movies and television shows. So they're writing big, huge checks for $40, 50000000 million for a movie or a TV show, whatever they're purchasing, right? But they could just play, they could just pay all the subcontractors. They could just create their own accounting and payroll system for subcontractors and manage the whole process. And I was like, oh. Yes, we're going to see more players. In. And I think we talked about that once this last year. Like Everybody wants to be a bank. Yep. That's another example of this. Netflix could actually just circumvent all these other players in the middle and just start paying, oh, you have actors. We're going to pay your actors and actresses too. And the sound guy and the editor and everybody else down down the down the whole chain. And they'll, they'll, they'll build and track and they'll create some ecosystem funnel app to do all this. You know, your average consumer doesn't want to have to open up a bunch of different apps to do finance activities. They want it in one place. They want consolidation. And so that's why you see Facebook trying to do Libra and you see Apple doing Apple Cash. And I, it, we're going to see more and more of the, like our phones, the social media embedding finance into those apps because that's where people want to do it. And I, and I love it. Like if I need to send money to my father-in-law, I just open up a text message and I send him the cash in the text message because we're both on Apple devices. And it, it, it goes straight from my Apple cash balance or from my credit card or bank account to him. Well, that's a perfect transition into my prediction. I'm going I'm to give my prediction for this year. Okay. What's your prediction? Right. So my prediction is the lines are going to get blurred and crossed more than they ever have. And uh, examples of this is you have uh, Bill.com. Right. So bill.com historically has always been payments. Now they have some AR involved, right? But they've gone public. They got to keep growing, right? So they're good. Maybe they have a bill.com credit card come out or receipt bank, right? They have a receipt bank purchase card, right? That comes out. Maybe QuickBooks launches a credit card. Maybe Practice Ignition now gets into practice management. Uh, a lot of the um, credit card players or spending card type players, they're getting into bill payment now, right? And everything's getting very gray. And I think you're going to see this more competition than ever because people aren't staying in their lanes anymore because they want to keep growing. So they keep adding more features. And I think with that, you're going to see more competition than ever. And I don't think the competition is just going to be for these apps. I think you're going to see competition for QuickBooks and Zero at levels. I mean, we've talked about Square in the past, but I think some of these other apps, they're going to, if you're owning the workflow, right, of all the, the inbound payments and the uh, expenses, well, just add GL and now you're a competitor to QuickBooks. Right. So I, I think you're going to see competition at a level we have not seen before. And it could actually help prices, right? It oh, could yeah. help drive prices down. But I don't think it's going to be a QuickBooks versus zero world. It's going to be a QuickBooks and zero versus everybody else world type of thing. I'm not saying that there'll be a team, but I think it's a different uh, it's a different world. Like QuickBooks and zero are going to have to not focus on each other and they're going to have to focus on 40 other companies. Interesting. My prediction for this year is that either QuickBooks or zero, one of the GL apps or maybe Square, I mean, Square essentially has already done it, is going to create a bank account, a bank. They're going to become a bank. And I could totally see Intuit doing this, where when you sign up for QuickBooks, you get a bank account. 
and it's already integrated and and it's integrated to the point where it's just perfect. You get all the information you could possibly want out of that bank feed because it's integrated and in, and into it partnered with a bank that that does it or it's going to be zero who does that or something. I, I, yeah, so because then all the data just moves perfectly, kind of like you know, right now with QuickBooks Merchant Account Services, right? Right. People like that and pay a little more for it than they do standard services because the data just gets in QuickBooks. You don't have to ever think about it. It's perfect. Well, and QuickBooks is already offering loans. So yep. why wouldn't they want to have access to the, the, the data at an even more granular level? And it's so sticky too. Once you have somebody using your banking services... I I know it just seems like natural to me. I mean, if they're going to go to the trouble of doing QuickBooks Live, like it seems like a fintech partnership like that would be natural too. Yeah, and, and you're right. So, so maybe maybe as more players try to become more like QuickBooks and Zero, QuickBooks and Zero are like, well, okay, that's fine, but we're going to go play in a new pool. We're going to go become banks too, yeah. right? And like, so just to stay ahead, step ahead of all this competition. That's true. That that's coming on. And then the easy one, and I, I you can title this as the episode if you want. Zero and Sage will have to launch some sort of Zero Live or Sage Live type product to compete with Cooper's Live. Mark my word, that will happen in 2020. I it disagree with happen. you. I disagree with you on that one. <laughs> okay. We're gonna we're gonna agree to disagree. I think I feel like it's a competitive advantage now for for Zero and for Sage. Like, why would they then like if if they can use this to peel off accountants from Intuit, use it, right? Don't don't become like Intuit then. It's a differentiator. Yeah. What if what what if QuickBooks uses it as their differentiator against Zero in Australia? And I mean, it's free. Hey, you get a free bookkeeper with your QuickBooks in Australia. Well, that would be very after market share. Yeah, that, they they might. I mean, they've they've did that whole like making QuickBooks almost free. It was so cheap, right? Yeah, it's like ten bucks or something. It's, yeah, I think it's super super cheap there. Yeah, that could that could could be. I don't know, but it's different. See, this is the thing that these big companies sometimes fail to understand is that these markets are very different. Uh, Australia, New Zealand. Yep. Business owners are much more likely to go work with an accountant when they start their business, whereas here, entrepreneurs are much more like go it yourself, do it alone, kind of do it yourselfers. Yep. And it's a very different mentality. So that's why like the accountant channel in Australia and New Zealand is so important. And here it's not for selling software. Here you can go direct and, and into it. That's what Intuit has done for a long time. And the ProAdvisor channel is really secondary to them. So yeah. And that's why they can do QuickBooks Live and not threaten their major business because their real customers are business owners, right? They're major customers. I'm not saying that obviously it's a huge business and accountants are important to that business, but not as important as the business owners. So, so, so in summary, I think our predictions are your, yours is one of the big GLs, a square, a QuickBooks, a zero is going to become a bank. Or, or one of the, or maybe one of the banks buys one of the GLs and integrates it, right? Like it, we're going to have that fusion of, of yeah. FinTech and accounting software. And I mean, banks are buying some of these little, Podunk, I'm um, Podunk's not the right word. Um, some of these clouds, uh, cloud uh, yeah, these are, accounting these are ledger products that are out there, David. That, <laughs> but but some of these ones that nobody's heard of, right? Right, they, right. They, like even you and I don't even know the names of some of these uh, cloud accounting packages that have been purchased by banks. So banks are doing that. But I think that the prediction is a major thing's going to go down, uh, like a very major shift in this. I wouldn't be surprised. Awesome. Well, uh, this was a really great, fun episode. And if people want to get in touch with us and complain, comment. Send us your predictions. Yeah, send us your predictions. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. Or you're welcome to email me at Blake at BlakeOliver.com. And I'm on Twitter as well, at David Leary. And you can always can email me, but Twitter's the best. <laughs> people have to get to their point. That's right. Uh, and if you want to do us a huge favor, leave a review. Where can people give us a review, David? 
If you're on Apple, you're an Apple person, you can go to Apple Podcasts and do reviews there. For everybody else who's not an Apple person, you can go to podchaser.com and leave reviews there, and those Podchaser reviews start showing up at other players. So, so you can read through one spot and it shows up on other sites. And, great. and if you want to combine your commentary with a review, you can leave a review, tell us what you think, and we will read it on the air. Kill two birds with one stone. You could put your prediction in your review so the whole world will see it. I would love that. That's a good idea. I, I would love that. David, until next week, it was great talking with you and uh, have a great 2020. And on to the future. Yeah.